All right, so today we're going, we're in lesson eight. We're going to look at the journey to Mount Sinai from Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, through Exodus chapter 18, verse 27. Okay, now if you'll notice, if you have the handout, the study sheets as you came in, you're going to notice there's a little chart there. And I created that chart to help you to understand the structure of the book of Exodus, okay? The structure of the book of Exodus. So this is going to help you to understand a little bit. Because from this point on, things are going to, if you are used to reading through the scripture, and especially, you know, we're in the season of making New Year's resolutions and people want to make the resolution, well, I'm going to read through the Bible. So you start off in Genesis that's going good. You get to Exodus. That's going good until you get to about right where we're at. Okay? Now, right where we're at, there's still some narrative. But right after this, in chapter 19, it's going to be the law. And then people really get big bogged down in the law. In fact, they decide after a little bit, maybe one or two days of struggling through it, they'll say, forget it. And, and there goes their New Year's resolution, and they won't read through the Bible again. So we're going to look at Exodus today. So I want you to notice, we already looked at the deliverance of Israel from chapter 1 to chapter 12. We're going to see, and we're going to finish it up today, that they're en route to Mount Sinai. We've seen that from chapter 12, and we're going to finish up that today up to, to chapter 18. And then we're going to see their time at Mount Sinai which is chapter 19 through 40, and that's what we're going to focus on in the future, okay? So, again, we're not going to read through this because we've got three chapters that we're going to go through, but there are obviously things that you remember as you have studied this before. So, first of all, chapter 15, verses 22 to 27, we're going to see about the issue of the water at Mara. So, first of all, and you're going to notice that this is constant with the Israelites while they're journeying in the wilderness. They're not just folks who've been redeemed. They're complainers. Okay? They like to complain. You ever met somebody who likes to complain? Do you like hanging out with somebody who likes to complain? No, not at all. And they're not just complainers, folks. They're, they're like grumbling and moaning. Okay? And so here's what we're going to see, first of all, that as they journey three days into the wilderness from the Red Sea, they found no water. Okay, so obviously they're, they're heading into an arid, dry, desert area there in the Sinai Peninsula, and they're not finding any water. Okay, they're not finding any water. Now, that would be, of course, a natural response I need water. And remember, we're talking about a million people. Okay? We're talking about moving a million people. No water would be a problem, right? And not just people, they're cattle. They're sheep. Okay? So, when they came to the waters of Mara, they found them bitter and complained against Moses. So, as they're journeying, they come to a place called Mara where the waters are, but the waters when they went to drink them are bitter, so they weren't fit for drinking, okay? The waters weren't fit for drinking, and so they complained 
against Moses. It's not that they complained to Moses, they complained against Moses. You ever done that? National leader, you don't like him, you complain what? About him. So they're complaining against Moses. In fact, they're complaining against his leadership and everything. All right? They're complaining against his leadership. Now, when we come to verse 25 through 27, we're going to see God's provision. Of course, Moses is going to pray about this. So after praying, the Lord showed Moses a tree to cast into the waters to make them sweet. So, Moses is praying, the Lord shows him a type of tree that needs to be cut down and cast into the waters that would make the waters sweet. Now, here's the interesting thing. All of this, this difficulty, this struggle, no water, finding water, water being bitter, the text makes an interesting point about what's going on here. The Lord was testing them and called them to be obedient or face the plagues of Egypt. The text very clearly says the Lord was testing them through this trial and testing them to see if they would be obedient or they would face the plagues, the judgment of God and what they face. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay? This gives you another viewpoint of hardship. Oftentimes when we talk about suffering and hardship, we always look at it from the standpoint that I don't deserve this, right? I don't need to go through this. I, I, I don't need to go through this difficulty. It's somebody else. Or we even understand the whole issue of suffering because we've done something stupid, and so therefore we're, we're facing the consequences of it, right? Here we see... They're going through difficulties and struggle because God's testing them. Testing their faith. Testing their trust in Him. Did you understand what I'm saying? I mean, think about it for a moment. Should they have been trusting the Lord? I mean, the Lord just took them out. I mean, this hasn't been like three years before. This is like He just took them out of his, Egypt. He, they just saw Him do those plagues to Egypt. They just saw Him what? Carry them. I mean, how many of you have taken the road trip through the, through uh, through through the Red Sea? Did you understand? What I'm, not in a submarine either. Like walking on the ground, and then watch the Lord destroy the Egyptian army by bringing the waves back on them. Do you think God's been taking care of them? Not just that. You're walking during the day and you see a pillar of cloud. In the evening, you see a pillar of fire. I mean, just visible representations of God everywhere. You face a situation, you don't have any water. What do you do? Oh, that Moses, I can't believe you let us out here to die. God was testing them. So you think about some of the things you go through. Nobody promised you life would be easy. Can I say that again? Nobody promised you that life would be easy. And sometimes the issue isn't, I think this is what we've got to wake up to. The issue isn't about how we live our life now. It's how we finish later on. It's how we finish later on when we go to be with the Lord. And we need to have a long-term perspective rather than a short-term. I mean, you need to have a short-term because you've got to get through stuff. But you have to have a long-term perspective 
that ultimately I'm heading where? God is molding me into the person that he wants me to be when I go to be with him. So this is what we see happening there. God is testing Israel and called them to be obedient or they would face the plagues of Egypt. Now, they then traveled to Elam and camped where there were 12 wells of water. So they moved from Mara to another place, and there were 12 wells of water there. Okay? 12 wells of water. Chapter 16, now verses 1 to 36, we're going to see that they're in the desert of sin. The desert of sin. And now we're going to talk about not just the provision of water, but the provision of food. Because remember, you got a million people. And they're trucking it out in the desert. You don't just need water, because look, folks, they're not on ATVs. You know, they're not riding in side-by-sides. They're not on four-wheelers. They are walking by foot. You need what? You need, you need calories for what? Energy to do what you've got to do. So there's a need for food. So you come to chapter 16. And again, verses 1 to 3 say, guess what they result to? They don't pray about it. They don't seek the Lord who's watching over them, who what provided water for them earlier. They're what? They're complaining again. Okay? Complaining again. So the people wish that they had died in Egypt where they had food. Listen to what their complaint was. They said, it was so much better being in slavery and facing death there, but at least having pots filled with food. Really? It was so much better there? Don't you remember the beginning of Exodus? It very clearly says that they couldn't live under the oppression and they cried out to God for what? Deliverance? Now they're at the point they've been delivered. They said, oh, it was so much better living under the taskmaster's whip. At least we had pots of food. They're, they're kind of silly, aren't they? You know what? We can't judge them too harshly because that's how we are sometimes, right? They complained that Moses had brought them to the wilderness to die from hunger. Moses, you brought us out here to die from hunger. Wow, isn't it interesting? The Lord stated that manna from heaven will be provided for each day. So God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide bread for you, manna. That'll be from heaven for each day. In fact, they would get the manna on six days. They would take a double portion. We'll see that here in a moment for the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. On the sixth day, the people are to gather twice as much as their daily ration. So they were supposed to gather what they needed for the day. There was a, a ration of how much of what they needed for the day. The people will know that God brought them out of Egypt with his provision in the morning. So God says, I'm going to do this. Every morning you need to go gather. And when you go gather, you're going to be reminded that I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. And I am the one who's going to take care of you. Wouldn't that be a, a reminder to you? 
because they've never seen man nobody's seen manna since this generation that was in nobody else other than this particular generation saw it this is amazing isn't it they would be reminded of god's provision in the morning their complaints against moses were actually complaints against the lord now, isn't that interesting? God's going to set the record straight here. He says, you're not just complaining against my servant. He's just telling you what I'm telling you, the Lord is saying. You're actually complaining against who? Me. Did you understand what I'm saying? You're complaining against me when you're complaining against Moses. Now, I want you to understand, we're not just talking about yeah, 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 I can't believe that. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about there are points in their complaint where Moses actually fears for his life because they want to kill him. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how, how serious it is here. That's, we're not just talking about murmuring we're talking about outright rebellion in their complaints against God. Okay? Now, let's go on. God has heard their complaints, and they will have meat at twilight and bread in the morning. So God's saying to them, All right, I'm going to take, I've heard you complaining. I'm going to take care of you at twilight, which is when? Right before it gets dark, you're going to have meat. And in the morning, you're going to have bread. I'm going to provide quail in the evening. Now, a million people, that would have to be an awful lot of quail, wouldn't it? Every day? Wow. Okay. And you're going to have bread in the morning. God is promising that. Now, what is it? Can I just stop for a moment? Anybody got a clue? What does this say about God? I mean... They're complaining against him. They're murmuring against them. But he's going the ex. He's, he's still taking care of them. What does that tell you about his character? Yeah, he's faithful in spite of us, right? He's faithful in spite of us. So the quail came up at the evening and covered the camp. So in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. When the dew lifted in the morning, there remained a substance like frost on the ground. So now we're describing what the manna was. It's kind of like a, you know, we've you've seen it here the last few weeks where we didn't have snow, but we had frost in the morning, and you saw the frost. Okay, well there, in the desert, in the morning, when the dew lifted, there was this substance like frost on the ground, except it's the desert, all right? The people were to gather one omer, or four pints of manna, per person for that day. An omer is a measurement of that time. It's about four pints. Okay? Four pints. For that day. So they were to gather one omer per person for the day. So about four pints per person for the day. All right? The daily manna cannot be left until morning because it would breed worms and stink. So whatever they gathered for that day, they were told to eat it that day, not keep it for later. 
You know, like sometimes, you know, Lori, Lori will make a French bread in our house, and uh, it's always good warm. But I like it when she puts it in a plastic bag and sets it on the counter, and then the next day, you know, the, the, the heat kind of has softened it, and I like to eat that white bread. I, the doctor doesn't like me eating that white bread, but I do, okay? And, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice the next day. Well, that's not true here. They were to eat what they had that day. That was their daily provision. The next day, whatever was left over, if they tried to eat it, first of all, it stank. It was stinking. Not only that, folks, it bred worms. Obviously, they didn't eat it, right? Okay? That was to ensure that they would eat what they had that day. Okay? They would eat what they had that day. On the sixth day, they would gather a double portion for the seventh day or the Sabbath. So on the sixth day, they would gather a double portion for the next day because on the next day, they were not to do any work, remember? Not to do any work. Now, on that day, the manna would not breed worms or stink. So on the seventh day, you say, well, on the other days, it would stink and it would breed worms. What about the seventh day here? No, God set it up so that Whatever they gathered as a double portion on the sixth day, whatever was there for the seventh day wouldn't have bred worms and it wouldn't stink. Isn't that interesting God did that? The other six days, yeah. Isn't that amazing? How God worked out the intricate details there. Those who went out on the Sabbath day found no provision of manna. So guess what? Obviously, you got a million folks. Not everybody believes, right? But they heard there's this manna, so they know it's real. So on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath. They're supposed to keep it holy. They get up and get out and start what? Looking for it, but they don't find anything. Okay? They don't find anything. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. This is interesting. The Lord questioned Moses as to why the people refused to keep his commandments. It didn't miss God's notice that folks were getting up on the Sabbath looking for food. He noticed it, and he said to Moses, why do they refuse to listen to me? That's a logical question, isn't it? I mean, think about what they saw in Egypt. Think about what they saw at the Dead Sea. Think about what they saw with the provision of water. Think about what they're seeing every day with the manna. And guess what, folks? God's saying to them, why are they still not listening to what I'm telling them to do? Why? The Bible actually has a word for them later as you get through the the Old Testament. They're stiff-necked. They're thick. We, we would say they're thick in the head, right? Nothing's getting through. Okay? So this is where they're at. So the Lord commanded that an omer be filled with manna to be kept as a memorial. Now you'll notice the text says that they were to keep it in the presence of the testimony, with the testimony. You're saying, what's the testimony? Well, we're going to find that out uh, here in, a, in next week or so. The testimony refers to the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. Okay? They were to keep this omer as a memorial of God's provision for future generations with the testimony. The omer was, okay, there is. The omer was to be kept before the testimony or the two tablets of the law. 
Okay, everybody got that? Okay, so here's what I want you to see. The children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to the borderland of Canaan. This was their daily meal for 40 years. And you get tired of the same old thing, right folks? They had the same thing, quail and manna, for 40 years. Yeah, Denny. I think after the first week, you'd kind of realize. Yeah, I all would take is one time, right? You know what I'm saying? And even not leaving stuff for the next day, I think you would, when you go to the bowl to get the bread out of it and it's filled with worms, I think you kind of realize, I ain't doing that no more. You, you know what I'm saying? That's kind of, they kind of understand. But they still complain, though. All right, let's go on now. We're at the desert of sin. We're going to talk now about... Let's see here. We're now at uh, Rephidim, okay? Rephidim. The people contended with Moses for water when they came to Rephidim. So again, they're complaining about water. They come to a place, there's no water there. They're complaining about not having water, okay? And they're complaining against Moses again, all right? Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord because the people were ready to stone him. Folks, they're ready to kill him. So he's crying out to God, God, we need water, they're ready to kill me. Okay? We need water, they're ready to kill me. The Lord commanded Moses to strike the rock in Horeb, and the water will come out. And water will come out. Strike the rock in Horeb. Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, and the water will come out. Okay, it's used both ways in the Old Testament. These are called Horeb or Mount Sinai. Okay? Now, right after this, they get attacked. So you got a million people who are heading to Canaan. They're going to draw... Folks, you ever try to move a million people without anybody noticing it? And, of course, the other tribes and people that are there are going to feel threatened by a million people moving into an area. So they get attacked, and they get attacked by the Amalekites. Okay? The Amalekites. So the Amalekites came and attacked Israel while they were camped at Rephidim. So they came and attacked them there. Probably the Amalekites were thinking, they got no water, this will be the right time to attack them. Moses sent Joshua to take some men and fight while he stood on the hill with the rod, the rod of God. So he had them take the rod, he took the rod of God and he sent Joshua with, with some soldiers, some of the armed Israelite men, to fight the Amalekites. Now while Moses lifted the rod of God, Israel prevailed in the battle. So he's up on the hill. When he lifts the rod, he sees that the Israelites are prevailing in battle. Okay? Now, let's just stop for a moment. How long do battles take? Yeah, it's, okay, so we're not talking about him holding it up there for five minutes. Okay? After a while, have you ever done this? I remember when I was in, when I was in, 
the army, and I was in basic training, the drill sergeant used to punish us, okay, by having us hold our M16 rifles extended out by the barrel. And we could not let the barrel, the, the gun drop. We had to hold our arms up. That hurt after a while. That was a punishment. This isn't a punishment. This is him just holding up his arms with the rod of God. So guess what happens? Your arms get tired, okay? When Moses' arms became weary, he lowered the rod and the Malachites started to prevail. So when the rod was lowered, guess what? The enemy starts to prevail. So Aaron and Hur supported Moses' hands until Israel won the victory over the Amalekites. Isn't that interesting? It's a great, it's a great show here that you can't do it by yourself. You need others to support you. Often this passage is used to talk about supporting prayer, supporting each other with prayer and what we're doing. Okay? So the Lord proclaimed that it must be remembered that he will wipe out the Amalekites. And you'll see this later on, all the way up to the time of Judges and through the first king, Saul, when he was commanded to wipe out the Amalekites. He didn't, he didn't completely fulfill what was supposed to be done. But he was supposed to wipe them out because God made a decree, these folks are going to be wiped out because they attacked my people. Do you understand? They attacked my people. So he let it be known that the Amalekites will be wiped out. By the way, have you ever met any Amalekites here lately? You can't go to, go to the Middle East and find any. They're gone. Okay? They're gone. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, this is where we're going to end up today. We come now to chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law brought Moses' wife, and sons to where Israel was camped. So he brings his wife and his sons to where Israel is camped. Jethro praised the Lord for all that he had done in delivering Israel from the land of Egypt. So Jethro acknowledges all that God has done in bringing Israel out and, and allowing Moses to do that. All right. Now the next day, Jethro saw that Moses judged Moses judged the people's affairs from morning till evening. So the next day, hey Moses, what are we going to do today? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I've got lots of things to do. And he sees that from the morning until the evening, Moses is sitting in judgment of the people, settling their disputes. I mean everything. You know, like... This person's cat came over to my tent, made a mess, you know, that type of stuff. Not serious things, but it was just him sitting all day pronouncing judgment over people's stuff. So Jethro is watching this. He counseled Moses to set up a system of judges to deal with the people's problems. So he's like, Mo, Mo, this, this isn't what you need to do here. Listen to the words of your father-in-law. There's a better way of handling these people are going to kill you from you sitting down all day and judging their stuff. You need to set up a system of judges. So he's setting up a system to be able to handle the people's issues. 
So Moses would judge the greater issues and the judges would deal with the lesser ones. Okay? So Moses wouldn't have to deal with the small issues anymore. He would only deal with the big issues. The the judges would be set up to handle the lesser ones. In fact, he set up a system of judges within various levels according to the number of people. So he had judges for hundreds and judges for thousands and judges for ten thousands. So he had a level of where you would go with your issue if you needed something settled, depending on what it was. Okay? So he set up this judicial system. Now the judges, this is something you're going to need to be aware of. When Moses dies, the judges are the ones who basically lead Israel under the direction of God up until the time of the kings. That's why we have a whole book called Judges. Each judge that's mentioned in the book of Judges was not over all of Israel. Do you understand? They weren't over all of Israel. They were judges in areas of Israel. Okay? Okay? 